Welcome to Law Technology Now with host Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of ALM's award-winning magazine, Law Technology News. Hear the latest about technology for the legal community. If it's tech, it's a topic right here. Hi, I'm Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of Law Technology News, and welcome to the October edition of Law Technology Now. We have a terrific program for you today with two fantastic speakers on a very, very hot topic, which is big data. And I've preached to a lot of you that that e-discovery, while very, very important, is going to look like child's play because of compliance. Well, Guess what? All bets are off because big data is going to make compliance and e-discovery look like kindergarten. We'll be talking about it for this podcast. But first, let me introduce our two fabulous speakers. Mark, why don't you start off first and tell our audience a little bit about you and your practice group? Thanks, Monica. And I look forward to our conversation. Uh, My name again is Mark Melodia with Reed Smith, and I co-head Reed Smith's Global Data Security privacy and management practice. We've had a practice organized as such for about the past seven years, uh, which, as Monica suggests, um, makes us one of the uh, dinosaurs in this practice area. We have about 35 to 40 of our partners worldwide who focus on these issues for our clients. The entire sort of management cycle, the whole life cycle, really, of information from creation to ultimate uh, document retention, and uh, uh, discarding such information safely. Um, we cut across industry groups. We do a lot of work for financial services and life sciences because that tends to be a lot of the data uh, that we see for our clients in those sectors. And uh, my personal background is as a class action defense lawyer, and I've been representing companies in data security breach cases, as well as more recently data uh, alleged misuse cases, website privacy cases. All in all, I've had about 70 class actions that I've defended uh, for our clients over the past seven or eight years on these issues. And Tony, you're also uh, a defense lawyer. Tell us a little bit about what's going on at ORC and you. Well, thanks very much. Um, As Monica said, my name is Tony Kim. I am a partner in the Washington, D.C. office of ORC, Harrington & Sutcliffe, and I also serve as a co-leader of our global internet safety, security, and data privacy group. Um, our group uh, um, has been in operation uh, for several years, right around 2008 or so. Um, we also, as, as, as Mark uh, explained for his firm, we cut across uh, practice areas, geographies, offices, um, and industries as well. We have around 35 or so lawyers um, in our unit um, and again, it's a global focus, and we, we really organized ourselves and formally launched our practice um, in uh, January of 2012 of this year, and really in response and in evol- evolving with our clients, um, most of uh, which are based in the tech sector in Silicon Valley, um, and our practice encompasses all areas of uh, regulatory counseling, uh, litigation, um, transactional work, um, and again, we're seeing uh, more and more companies, uh, clients that require a global uh, footprint. And so we're quite excited about the practice. Um, I myself, based in Washington, D.C., focus a lot on regulatory um, compliance and investigations, primarily by the Federal Trade Commission. And, um, you know, as Mark suggested, I, a lot of consumer protection type work 
has been around for many years, but more recently, um, you see uh, agencies and, and, and class action lawyers going after um, areas that are uh, high technology, uh, for example, behavioral advertising, technology-based information collection and sharing, and things of that nature. So um, I also look forward to our discussion today. Well, I got intrigued by this when, the, as I mentioned before, there was sort of a convergence, which happens rather occasionally uh, in our wonderful legal technology universe. And this resulted in our cover story for the October issue of Law Technology News called Defending Big Data. And both uh, Mark and, and Tony are featured in the article and a lot of other firms as well. But what really hooked me was when I was sent a copy of The Power of Habit by a fellow named Charles Duhigg, who is a investigative reporter with the New York Times. And many of you may have read the story. They, the New York Times ran a chapter of the book in their magazine uh, last February. And it was the most compelling story I can remember reading in ages. It basically talked about how Target, Minnesota-based Target, determined that the sweet spot for its company was women who were pregnant or about to be pregnant. And they had such savvy data scientists in their company that they could figure out algorithms that could tell them who among the many, many, many consumers that they had information about, which is freely given to them. It's those little tags that you have on your on your keychain and when you get their credit cards and how you spend and that you've signed off on those eight-mile-long terms of service that none of us read and just click yes. Um, they figured out by what these families were buying, what these women were buying, they could, with astounding accuracy, figure out that they were pregnant. Well, guess what happens? A dad calls up Target furious and says, what the hell are you doing sending all these flyers, these customized flyers to my house with when I have a 16-year-old daughter and you're, you're shilling all these, these, preg- these baby products and baby diapers and this, that, and the other. And the father was very, very indignant about this and because Target had figured out how to customize this stuff and send it. And about two weeks later, the same guy calls him back and goes, I owe you an apology. I wasn't as tuned in to what's going on in my family as I should have been. And uh, when I first met Mark and his colleague, uh, Cynthia O'Donohue, um, Mark talked to me about what the ick factor is and how it comes into play in data privacy and um, uh, uh security. And Mark, explain to our listeners what how you mesmerized me with your analysis of this ick factor and when we like big data and when it gets kind of queasy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, highly scientific term there, uh, Monica, the ick factor. Um, but it really is central, uh, the central paradox really uh, in this area. Uh, we all have a frenemy relationship, if you will, with uh, big data. Uh, we love what it can do uh, for us. We love the, particularly in the social media world, but even more basically, when we walk into a bank on the West Coast or the East Coast or on vacation overseas, 
we expect them to be able to recognize us. They, we need them to know who we are. We need them to know things about us. And we expect that convenience. And yet, we don't want them to know too much. And we don't want them to use that information in ways we don't expect. And so, trying to figure out sort of where the sweet spot is, where that balance is, is so difficult. And yet, it's exactly what courts and what regulators and what potentially legislators are trying to do every day. And quite frankly, it's what our clients are trying to get right every day. There are a lot of things that our clients could do tomorrow technologically, which they know they can't do uh, because of sort of where social norms are today. So as a class action defense litigator, a lot of what our clients are being accused of doing is not illegal. And if you get plaintiff's lawyers in a candid moment, they will admit that there is no law that says that the things that are being done in a big data way are illegal, Uh, but rather they just don't feel right to some people. And of course, that's so inherently subjective that from the perspective of a defense lawyer, it strikes me that it is a truly lousy basis for a class action. Um, And yet, it's a very real phenomenon, and it guides very much on a day-to-day basis, decision-making, judgment calls by our clients, and by our practice group in advising those clients as to how far one can go uh, before you hit that gag reflex or that ick factor where people just, quite frankly, get creeped out by the degree to which uh, these analytical tools can you know, tell the world uh, about them uh, and uh, make um, available patterns that, quite frankly, sometimes they themselves don't see, or to go back to your story, that people around them, like their parents, haven't even yet realized. Tony, tell us a little bit about the current role of class actions and why that's become sort of ground zero for this arena. Well, you know, it, it really depends on, you know, what we're talking about. I there have always been consumer protection, quote unquote, style class actions, um, you know, based on specific regulations about the collection and use of data. So think about, you know, uh, class actions regarding the proper circumstances uh, under the Fair Credit Reporting Act for accessing and using a consumer's credit report. So those types of actions have been quite effective, um, I think, in helping companies understand the bounds of their duties. Uh, vis-a-vis those specific types of data. For the newer class actions, along the lines of what you and Mark have been talking about, um, again, um, I wholly agree with Mark that uh, there aren't hard and fast rules, and often companies are, are somewhat confused. Take, take the example of, of class actions coming out of the massive you know, data breach, um, uh, data breaches that we uh, read about in the news all the time. Um, you know, in those areas, class plaintiffs have encountered um, some difficulties in establishing, you know, injury for things like, you know, well, you increased my exposure to identity theft or you caused emotional distress. You know, these are things that the class plaintiffs are struggling with because they're trying to determine, well, what what exactly can I get compensated for? And then at the same time, the companies are saying, well, what exactly are we supposed to be doing? Um, but that all that said, you know, companies never want to incur uh, the costs or reputational damages of class litigation. So I think class actions uh, in this you know, evolving area of big data, they continue uh, to, to drive clients um, to take a look at their privacy practices and disclosures, 
to self-audit to improve those policies and practices. So I think from a practical standpoint, um, they're quite important uh, in moving the dialogue along and, and developing, helping companies uh, motivate companies and, and industry groups to develop best practices and to, to constantly improve. So I think they're important in that sense. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about not just defending, but some of the affirmative ways that these practice groups are helping corporations to, in a good way, exploit their their wonderful data in this era of cheap storage and lot and very sophisticated search tools, which is part of what's fueling all of this. But first, we're going to take a moment for a quick break to hear from our sponsor, App River and PC Law. We'll be right back. Protect your firm's email with AppRiver. Send confidential emails with confidence using AppRiver's CypherPost Pro email encryption service. With CypherPost Pro, you'll control who sees your messages, and a patented delivery slip will show you when they're received and opened. There's no hardware or software to manage. You can cancel any time, and you get a 30-day free trial. All backed by AppRiver's phenomenal care. Visit AppRiver.com, that's A-P-P-River.com, or call 866-223-4645. Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com slash radio. That's PCLaw.com slash radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today. And we are back. We have two fantastic guests for you today, Mark Melodia and Tony Kim. Um, Mark, you are with Reed Smith, and Tony, you are with Oric. And we've been talking a little bit about class actions, but I want to shift gears for a moment because in the what I would call almost the explosion of practice groups, and in our article, and uh, it's the cover story of LTN, we spotlight a couple of the firms that have created new uh, projects or new groups in the last this summer, including uh, Holland and Knight, uh, which uh, two uh, Reed Smith uh, partners moved over there to start it. And in July, Hunton and Williams, which already had kind of a think tank, has set up a project to try to come up with, they're working with about 10 corporations to try to develop exactly the kind of balance issues that we've been talking about on the show of being able to protect clients and individual rights, but exploit the potential that is available with big data. Um, Tony, let's start with you. Um, if you could talk a little bit about what the opportunities are for big data, uh, in addition to being um, protecting against any infringements on personal rights or breaches. Sure. So part of Oric's uh, strength you know, on our platform is based in Silicon Valley. We have a wonderful uh, set of lawyers that work with emerging companies in the tech sector. We represent close to a thousand tech startups and, 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 and uh, companies that are uh, just purely based on the uh, internet commerce. And I focus sort of on that sector because if you think about it, there's a lot of money there 
Uh, we're talking about venture capital firms that are investing hundreds of millions of dollars in companies. Uh, think about mobile app companies that have zero revenues, no advertising, no nothing, but they're getting hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to run their businesses. And the value creation there is really based on the ability to um, acquire data and someday in the future leverage that and monetize that um, into uh, revenues. Um, but those companies, um, their entire business is built around big data and ways that they can uh, leverage it. And um, again, going back to what we discussed earlier about the ick factor, you know, balancing the use of personal data uh, versus the privacy and security concerns, um, you know, we help our, our clients um, really on a product-by-product product and service-by-service service basis understand uh, what uh, the consumer's reasonable expectations are when they use their service. So take a photo-sharing service, for example. You know, what are consumers reasonably expecting in the way of data that, they're, they're, that the company is going to collect and how it's going to be used? And for, for the most part, those types of practices are fine and legal. Um, where it gets tricky are the quote-unquote unexpected uses, you know, sharing of people's personal data with third parties, perhaps. And um, that's a key, key issue um, because that's often the way that you monetize, by sharing data and, and exploiting it for other types of uh, um, business purposes. And in those situations, you have to be really, really careful uh, that you do a self-audit, um, that you possibly take further, more explicit actions to disclose to your consumers what is going on with their data, um, and possibly even um, coming up with creative ways to get what we call affirmative, you know, opt-in consent from the consumer to use their data in a particular way. So um, these are ways that companies, and particularly those whose entire, you know, livelihood, entire business model is based on the acquisition and use of data um, can exploit big data um, to uh, to uh, their commercial success. And just recently in the news, two things popped right up to me on that because there was a recent controversy when a gentleman liked a particular product and the next thing he knew his face was appearing in an advertisement for that product. Um, there was also as we're, we are we are uh, taping this at the very end of September, and there was a uh, article in the last few days in the New York Times on the front page about um, uh, the use of what you just mentioned, um, Tony, uh, facial recognition software and how it conflicted internationally. If I remember the article correctly, Mark, uh, you your co-chair on your department is Cynthia O'Donoghue, who is based in London. What are some of the international issues that come up, particularly around privacy and face recognition? Uh, you know, Cynthia and uh, her team uh, outside the U.S. Uh, are dealing uh, with a lot of those issues, uh, and we've seen uh, uh, both the Irish and other regulators push back on that issue that you're talking about, Monica. Um, and in general, I think what we see is, of course, these issues for our clients are not company or jurisdiction specific. Uh, they are very much cross-border and global issues. That's why our firm, you know, like Tony's, are set up to deal with these issues and advice globally. And yet, we live in a world that still has country-by-country uh, -country laws in this area, and they are not completely consistent. So a significant part of Cynthia's practice and our colleagues in Germany, France, in China, in Hong Kong, in the Middle East, uh, is trying to figure out 
how to possibly comply with all of these laws and develop products that need to be global, that need to approach a global community, uh, which is sort of the, the nature of the Internet, after all, is that it is virtual. Uh, and it doesn't know the sort of country boundaries. And, of course, that's one of its great strengths. And yet our privacy laws are not at all set up to address that. In addition, uh, more and more we see uh, transfer issues of uh, cross-border transfer where, for the same reasons, because we have competing privacy and data security standards in different jurisdictions, uh, we have trouble moving information from place to place which seems somewhat absurd given sort of the nature of the Internet, and yet that's very much a part of our day-to-day -day practice for clients that operate, obviously, globally. You know, uh, back, if I might, for a minute, uh, Monica, to uh, the point uh, Tony was making, which I thought was, you know, excellent uh, in, in terms of the positive side of big data, that, it, you know, there is a monetization aspect to that, um, you know, that really is a big part of the practice, privacy by design, helping clients design privacy and data security issues into the products and services they're marketing and helping them, you know, monetize data appropriately, consistent with consumer expectations and consistent with what uh, regulators will allow. You know, Monica, you and I have talked about the Facebook IPO as sort of a defining moment here. I think that's another part of the answer to the question you first posed, which is, why now? Why is this sort of going viral at this moment in time? Part of it is, as Tony was saying, there are certain companies like Facebook that are basically as valuable as their ability to exploit the data that they have access to allows them to be. And a lot of what allows them to do things or not do things is that ick factor, and a lot of it are going to be going forward, privacy regulations, and potentially legislation. But we That's spend a, terrific, a lot of time dealing with that. That's a terrific summary. And alas, we have quickly run out of time. We could obviously spend hours on this. Uh, I would encourage everyone to check out more from Mark and Tony on our cover story of the October Law Technology News. You will be able to find it at www.lawtechnews.com on our website and in print. Um, for each of you, if you would uh, take a quick moment and let our audience know how they can reach you. And I know, Mark, you have a really exciting program coming up in Silicon Valley. So tell our California people what you're up to on that. Sure. Thanks, Monica. Um, again, it's Mark Melodia, and I can be reached at mmelodia, M-E-L-O-D-I-A, at reedsmith.com or 609-520-6015. And we do have a neat conference coming up, uh, well-timed for this presentation, uh, and it's on the monetization of big data. Uh, it is in conjunction with our Silicon Valley office, and we have speakers from you know, big data companies and others in the Valley like Reputation.com, CoreLogic, Splunk, and a lot of venture capital companies. That's on October 10th, uh, and we would obviously welcome interest and participation in uh, that conference. It's a half-day a lot of folks will be down the road at IAPP uh, anyway, so we'd love to see you. And they can contact you to get registration info, I assume. Absolutely. Terrific. Tony, uh, same for you. What are the, um, how can our folks reach out to you? Sure. This is Anthony Kim again. I'll go by Tony. 
and I'm in Washington, D.C. My email is A-K-I-M, A-K-I-M, at O-R-R-I-C-K, O-R-R-I-C-K dot com. And my telephone number is 202-339-8493. You can always uh, find me in my office um, down in Washington, uh, D.C., and uh, you can also find me um, likely at Reed Smith's presentation on the 10th. So look forward awesome. to seeing everybody. <laughs> That's absolutely great. Well, a quick uh, quick housekeeping as we wrap up, just to remind you that you can find a Law Technology Now podcast on the Legal Talk Network at www.legaltalknetwork.com, on ALM, our partner, at uh, www.lawtechnologynow.com and because we're so cool we're on iTunes I uh, want to thank again our wonderful sponsor App River and give a shout out as always to the fabulous David Jasper here at ALM in New York and in Boston at Legal Talk Network, Lou Ann Reed, Mike Hockman and Kate Kenny uh, have fun with your favorite baseball team this month. It's been a great season. And just remember, there is no crying in baseball or technology. I'm Monica Bay. We'll see you in November. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Law Technology Now is produced by the broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join Monica Bay for next month's podcast on the technology issues affecting the legal profession today.